0: Hey everybody, welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies Thank you so much for taking the time to listen I do appreciate you As always, feel free to reach me at Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com And uh, I will get back with you as soon as I can all right, so we are now getting ready for some excitement here. This is uh, definitely an exciting time of year, but it can be a little bit intimidating too. I mean, uh, you know, you haven't done an inspection in probably three to six months, depending on where you live. So your uh, your beekeeping game might be a bit off, but that's okay. You know, it's like riding a bike. Well, I mean, like like riding a bike that stings you if it gets mad, but it's basically the same thing. So, you know, my ultimate goal is to get everyone To the point where they're not just performing actions like a robot, you know, but to be able to do things because they recognize the cause and effect, you know, normal versus abnormal, healthy versus unhealthy. Um, You know, I can tell you, do these 10 things every time you do an inspection. But if we don't discuss the why of these actions, I feel like that really stifles your development as a beekeeper. Now, I do believe that having a systematic and repeatable approach to things is important you know, for learning the fundamentals and everything. But I would ask that in everything someone suggests or tells you to do, look for the why. I can't speak to how others learn, but, you know, for me, when I understand the why of, you know, what I'm doing, the act itself takes on a lot more meaning. You know, it's more memorable and repeatable. Now, you know, if by chance you're listening to this podcast from boot camp or basic training, do not apply this advice towards initial entry training at all, right? Drill instructors do not like to be asked why. So that's a little pro tip for you. Don't, don't do that. But before you actually open up the hive for the first time this year, I would recommend you observe them on a few days where the temperatures are like in the, you know, 50s, um, 50 or above. Uh, that'd be like 10 degrees Celsius. Um, and, you, you know, if you see no activity in front of the hive on a fairly warm day, that's that's probably a bad thing, right? It's really easy to tell when you have several hives. Like if you had four four hives, as an example, and you had a couple of, you know, dead outs, maybe you had one that was one dead out, one sick, and two were healthy, you would be able to look and see, okay, there's absolutely no activity coming from one of them. The second one has a couple of bees coming in and out, but not a lot of regularity to it. And then the other two are jamming. They got bees coming in and out like crazy. It's 60 degrees out. They're coming back with pollen, So you know that, okay, two of them are looking pretty good, not sure on the others. If you only have a single hive, it makes it a little bit more difficult. But here's the thing. Like I said, that 50 degrees Fahrenheit, 10 degrees Celsius, when you hit that temperature, the bees should be up. They should be outside. They should be moving around. And especially when it gets, you know, 55 or 60, you know, like that 15 degrees Celsius range. Once it gets to that temperature, they should be hustling. And, you know, if you know there's pollen in your area, you're starting to see, uh, I can't speak for, again, for everybody, but for me, when I go outside about a month from now, it's going to be like, uh, you know, fairy dust all over the place, just the yellow pollen everywhere. If you know you've got pollen and there aren't bees coming in and out, something's wrong. So before you even open the hive, you know, do some observation on the outside for a couple of days, make a couple of notes. I've been really stressing and harping on this, but make notes because you'll see these patterns repeat year after year first week of May, I saw this, second week of May, I saw that, third week of May, I saw, you know, and you can continue keeping track. And You go back and look at them the following year, and things are, are pretty much close you know, within a week or so of what you saw the previous year. But on your day where you're actually going to open up the colony and you're going to start doing your inspection, I would try to find, you know, look at your calendar, look at a weather app or whatever, and, and see when you might have a day that's going to be significantly warmer coming up. Um, the one scenario where I would say you may have a slightly increased sense of urgency is if you saw in that example I gave before that one colony that had a little bit of activity but not a lot, they may be on life support, right? They might be almost out or out of resources. So you may have to expedite things a little bit to get to them, but don't risk opening the colony on a cold day. Uh, and there's, We'll discuss that a bit more in a minute here. But if you can target a day, like I said, that's around 70 degrees, that's even better. But on this first inspection of the year, you're really just trying to get in, do a quick assessment and get everything closed back up. So the last thing that I would say that we want to do before we actually crack the hive and go in after, you know, after it's overwintered is to get all your gear together. So, you know, maybe you put things in a bag or a bucket or something else, you know, whatever works for you. The most important thing is to not be like me, right? For years, I would open the hive and then I'd run back to the shed because I forgot one thing and then... I go back to the hive and then I can't find my hive tool. And then I realize I left it in the shed and then, you know, it's, it's always something, right? That's why for me, like I'm always carrying two or three hive tools everywhere. I think I have about six of them and uh, you know, it just, you've got to, you've got to have some kind of a, a methodology in place to keep all your stuff together. I think for me, once I settled on that, it's almost like a tool belt, a real small kind of tool belt. It's got a couple of pockets and it was cheap. It was like, ten dollars on amazon or something like that that that's perfect because that way i can have my tags my queen markers um, entrance reducers like for nukes and stuff i have all those things in there a couple of hive tools and it works great but just find a system that works for you and and stick with that and maybe have an extra hive tool so with that gear all together and ready to go uh, on this first inspection there's a few things you're going to want to Uh, you may want to have on hand as kind of uh, just-in-case type of things. If you use pollen patties, if you have pollen patties, this might be a good opportunity to have a couple of them handy. You, You probably may not need a full pollen patty depending on the size of the colony. Maybe you can use halves. But, you know, again, whatever works for you, whatever you found to be effective, if you're using them, I would say this is a good time to have some ready. Same thing with sugar syrup. Now, in general, you know, I reserve sugar syrup for boosting, you know, young, new colonies, getting them through a dearth, um, you know, in the fall, prepping them for winter. But, you know, if they're hungry and it's the springtime and, you know, that things are looking rough in the colony, you know, you're going to want to have some on hand and it's, it's definitely an option you can go to with some supplemental feed on the sugar syrup. So basically if you end up you know, doing your inspection, you look in the hive and you see there's no stored honey, there's no new nectar from this spring, then that's going to be kind of an indicator that you may want to go ahead and consider doing that. So you've got all your stuff together. You've got your gear. you got a couple of food supplements and things ready just in case they might need them. Lastly, and I mentioned this before. I mentioned it last week, I think, and I mentioned it in the previous um, previous episodes, but having a note taker or someone who can record things for you or recording a video of yourself, taking notes yourself, whatever you got to do, whatever works for you, but find a methodology and approach that allows you to take notes of everything you've done. And, and like I said, the video is really a cool idea. I mean, if you can have a tripod, put your phone on the tripod and record yourself doing an inspection. And then this way, if you're working with a mentor and you want to say, hey, look, can you kind of look at what I did and tell me where I'm right, wrong, or, or you know, what I can do better. It also gives you a chance to go back and transcribe your notes later. And then you can also, like I mentioned before, it gives you something to look back to years down the road and laugh at yourself for the silly things that you did. Or, you know, worst case scenario too, if you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing, send me the video, I'll take a look at it, I'll give you my two cents. But just make sure that you're keeping track of of everything because, like I said, things are going to repeat themselves over and over again and, and you'll start to see that the more exposure you have to your colonies, other colonies, year after year, you'll start to see some patterns on things. Now, when it comes to actual inspections, we'll take that same example that we just had at the beginning here where we have four colonies. So we've got the dead out. We've got a colony that looks pretty weak, not a lot of activity, but some activity. And then we've got two other colonies that appear to be relatively healthy with a lot of activity. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start with my strongest and healthiest colonies first. Okay, so my, my reason for this is that you know, if I have a couple of dead outs or those that didn't make it, they don't really need my immediate attention. They're already dead. So I can't make them less dead. So I'm going to focus on the ones that are alive and well, where I can make something, make something happen, make a difference. You know? So I'm going to do that first. The other reason is, let's say that for whatever reason, they died of disease. There was some kind of disease or illness inside the colony. I don't really want to be poking around in there with my hive tool and then say, oh, wow, this looks really bad, and then go to the next colony that's healthy and use the same hive tool and, and start, you know, infecting or cross-contaminating other healthy colonies. So that's kind of the approach that I take on that. Hey, everyone, thank you for listening. I hope that you're enjoying the show and are finding the information to be useful and valuable. In order to help keep the lights on, we do need to take a quick commercial break. Thank you so very much for hanging in there, and I appreciate you. We will be right back. All right, everyone, welcome back, and thank you for staying with us today. As always, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. I always enjoy hearing about your experiences, answering questions, and learning more about the challenges you're facing in different parts of the world. So please keep them coming. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Now let's get back to the show on the Beekeeping for Newbies radio network. Okay, that's not a real thing, but I'm trying to make it sound more official, so just play along, all right? Thanks a lot. Okay, so the first steps here of you know of uh, opening everything up are the same you know, same now as they were last year. But as a refresher, you know, go ahead and hit a couple of puffs of smoke at the entrance. You know, don't you don't have to go crazy here, right? Just a couple of puffs and then stop. You know, go ahead and crack the lid, get a couple of puffs up there in the top. And, you know, people will tell you all the time, wait about 30 seconds and then start your inspection. You know, I, I'm kind of more in that, you know, 10 to 15 second range. Because what I actually do is I'll crack the outer cover, get a couple of puffs in. But there's only that relatively small hole at the top where the um, top cover meets the inner cover. So there's not a lot of real room to kind of push that smoke through. Plus, uh, a lot of my colonies, I use a cloth inner cover. So when I peel that back, it's kind of an all-or-nothing thing. Like I peel the corner, hit a couple of puffs, and then kind of put it back down. So it's... It's hard to really get the the smoke to move through the entire hive body when you're just opening the top cover. So I don't usually wait the full, you know, 30 seconds. I'll usually give it about 15, take the outer cover, take the inner cover off, and once that inner cover is off, whether it's cloth or solid wood doesn't matter. Once it's off, then I can do a few puffs around the entire top. So one thing I will mention to you is, you know, you're looking at everything as you're taking things apart. I you mean, know, in this overwintered you know, situation, look at everything. So take that inner, uh, the outer cover off, look at the inside of it. See, is it soaking wet? Is it dry? Is it mildewed, moldy? Same thing with the inner cover. And I mentioned this because I think it was in my first couple of years, I had not fully figured out ventilation and the best way to keep condensation down. The inner cover was moldy and gross. The outer cover on the inside wasn't much better. Uh, I mean, it was really, really bad. So I took them off. And I went straight to my shed, grabbed another inner cover, another outer cover, did my entire inspection, and then I put a brand new inner cover and outer cover back on when I finished. So having some spare parts on hand might not be a bad idea depending on how your hives are laid out. I really like those cloth inner covers. They do a pretty good job of absorbing moisture, but primarily they keep a really good seal at the top, so it's hard for anything else to get in. So I do like that. So as you get into the frames and you start looking at individual frames, and remember, too, you you don't have to do every – you don't have to pull every single frame out, more likely than not. You know, the cluster tends to start in the middle, down near the bottom. Over the winter, it t- can, tends to work its way up. If you're using, that as an example, a double deep kind of configuration, most likely the bees are going to be up near that top deep in the center. So your outer edges, you should still have, you know, wax comb that is drawn out there. You could still have a little bit of foundation on the edges, but most likely it's going to be drawn comb. A lot of it's going to be empty because they've used those resources. But what you want to look for is you want to look inside and see, is there any honey left over from the, you know, from the wintertime? Uh, Do you have any fresh nectar and pollen that they've been bringing in? Do you see larva, eggs, various stages of brood, you know, uncapped and capped, any drone brood presence? You're looking for all of those things, but it's a relatively quick thing. Another thing to consider too is a lot of people, because of that upward movement that the colonies tend to take over the winter as they consume resources moving up, a lot of people, if they're using that double deep configuration, they will reverse them. So they just basically take the top one off as they're doing their inspection, inspect the bottom one, go through everything in its entirety, if weather permits, and then they'll move that one off to the side. And quick kind of sidebar here, whenever you have that bottom board exposed, look at everything, take a good look. If it's gross, grab that hive tool, scrape all that stuff off of there, put your hive bodies back on. Or if it's too gross and there's a lot of stuff there that just doesn't look good, definitely make note of that condition in your notes. But go ahead and put a new bottom board or a clean bottom board from your inventory in there. Put everything back together and clean the other one later. But getting to that switching the the deeps thing that I was just talking about, go ahead and now take the one that was the top, put it on the bottom, and then bring your one that was previously on the bottom and move it up to the top. That's one way of doing things. It absolutely is not a must-do kind of thing. What I personally tend to do is I will wait usually until like that second or third inspection until it's a nice warm day, mid-70s, and then I will open the two of them up and I'll consolidate. So I will manually move everything where I want it. So I'll go to the bottom deep and I'll go ahead and put six or seven brood frames in there, a couple of pollen frames, and then I'll put a queen excluder and go mediums. Or if I'm doing a double deep, I'll put a couple more, at least one, maybe two brood frames in the middle, and then everything else can just be whatever you want to do, wax foundation, drawn comb, whatever works. So you can rebalance those things manually, or you can flip it to where the queen ends up on the bottom and kind of starts over down there. Either one's going to work. If you do nothing at all, she's still going to figure it out. She'll work in the area up top there and she'll work her way back down. I've just had a little little bit better luck with going ahead and doing that relocation. It's just easier for inspections in the future because what ends up happening is they'll build up that top one completely and then they go back so you grab the top and you're like oh my god this thing is packed and you go to the one below it and there's two frames of whatever on there right it's just kind of it just seems kind of like it's out of order so it's not mandatory just not a bad idea like i said i manually rebalance them usually like mid-april early to mid-april and like i mentioned before when you're going through everything and you're looking at it if you don't see resources coming in if you don't see uh what appears to be some newly stored nectar you got to keep in mind that you may very well have you know in the spring you're going to have some cold spells. You're going to have times when the bees are going to be unable to go out and forage because it's raining. So there's a lot of reasons why they definitely need to have resources inside the colony, which is, again, why I mentioned the sugar syrup, pollen patties, or having some other resources they've already gathered. So once you've gone through everything and you've made some notes, you've uh, you've cleaned up that bottom board if there's any debris, everything has been completely looked at, everything is closed back up, and you're good to go for the time being, this is where I would start making some notes, and getting prepared for the future. So we're going to talk about this more in the next episode where we're going to get into splits and other things. But this is still a good time to say, okay, I really haven't settled on how I want to do my colonies this year. Do I want to be in a single deep with a queen excluder and all mediums and then take this second deep that I have and use that for another colony? So start thinking now about what you want to do this year. There are a lot of people that I talk to who are like, I like my one colony. I only want that one, and uh, and I keep telling people, well, why don't you just have two? Right? If you have two, you can they can help each other out. If one has a problem, you can use the other one to support it a little bit. I get it, I really do, because it's a lot of work, especially if you know if you just want to maybe maybe get a little bit of honey, but you're more just interested in kind of being a participant in you know kind of that whole ecosystem. I, I get it, you know, having one certainly makes sense. But if you're trying to expand, if you want to expand, you know, just start thinking now about what you might want to do and things that you might need. We we are in a pretty pretty weird time globally. So, I don't know how difficult or how easy it's going to be to get a hold of things, you know, as time goes by. And there's a lot of weird things going on with oil. I think what a lot of people don't know is about like less than half of a barrel of oil is gasoline like I think it's like 55% of it goes to make other things. And there's like thousands and thousands of things that are made from petroleum. And I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of B things that are made from petroleum products as well. So I don't know how supply chain things are going to go down, how available things are going to be, whether it's foundation or, you know, hive components. I mean, hive components are made of wood, lumber commodities are through the roof and massive housing demand, but nobody has lumber and can't get things. So I'm saying all of this because I don't really care about the politics behind it, but what I care about is that if you want to be a beekeeper and you want to expand your hives and you want to maintain the ones you have, you're going to need things. And the sooner that you are thinking about what you need, getting those things on order, and hopefully you'll you'll have them on hand when you need them. Another thing to consider too, at this time of year is you know you've got while you have the colonies open, I kind of meant I meant to bring this up earlier, but I forgot as you have everything open and you're wrapping uh, wrapping up your inspection, that might be a good time to go ahead and throw those Apivar strips in there or do whatever kind of uh, treatment that you're doing for Varroa. Um, You know, you need to have, like I mentioned previously, you know, four to six weeks on those strips. Now would be a good time to get them on ahead of your honey supers that you might use for yourself or for any honey you're trying to gather for friend's family or for sale. So just another thing to kind of keep in mind. So speaking of honey supers, we're going to kind of jump in real quick on our next subject and talk a little bit about that. I've got a lot of questions, a lot of people saying, hey, when should I super? What kinds of configurations should I do? How should I do it? So the first thing that I would say is, you know, as we've discussed before, you know, dead space in a hive when it's cold can kind of be a bad thing, right? It's more space for the bees to have to heat. Now, we're hopefully getting out of the really cold times, and hopefully that's not going to be an issue, but my recommendation is, If you're, let's say you're using a a single deep overwintering kind of configuration, my suggestion would be to not add anything to that until you definitely have warmer weather, more consistent warm weather, or if you're in a situation where you've opened up that hive and then that colony is just packed. I mean, you've got bees everywhere and they have no room to store anything. Then, absolutely, by all means, add either a second deep if you're on a single deep system, add a honey super, whatever you need to do to give them space, because you definitely don't want them to get that swarm idea particularly early. As you may or may not know, once that swarm instinct kind of kicks in, it's kind of tough to break. So, we want to give them space as it gets now. It's funny because I'm telling you that space is kind of a bad thing. And then, about a month from now, I'm going to be telling you how important it is to make more space. To prevent swarming. Now, in that scenario, what I mean is you're gonna have thousands of bees, probably a thousand or more being born every day, and they're gonna be taking up space, bringing in nectar, bringing in pollen, and they will draw out comb super fast. They will fill it up really, really quickly. And when they run out of space, they will get the swarm cells going, and you got about two weeks to figure it out. So, again, make sure that you're managing your space effectively. Another thing, I, and I've mentioned it before, if you have extra space and there, you have an entire honey super or a deep, whatever it might be, if there are frames in that colony that aren't being used and there are not bees in that area kind of supervising things, it really makes it an optimal environment for wax moths. It, you know, if you have a really good, strong colony, they won't even let them in the door, and they'll, they'll kind of beat them up on the way in. But smaller colonies, some of them that might be a little bit weaker, they are definitely susceptible to the wax moth. And if they have drawn comb in a space that bees aren't occupying, they will get in there and wreak havoc. So like I say, in general, when you have about 70 to 80% utilization of space, maybe even a little bit less than that you know, in, in the spring, that's probably when you want to uh, consider adding some more space. And one more thing I will say, too, you know, speaking about the spring and how quickly things can grow and, and kind of explode, you know, if uh, if you're taking a spring trip, maybe somebody's graduating college and you're going out of town or you're going to take a vacation, it's not unheard of or unreasonable at all to go ahead and drop a pair of honey supers on there, right? I mean, putting two on there, you'd be surprised. I've seen them, you know, fill up an entire super, you know, in five, six days. I mean, they will just pack them in with a good, strong colony. So if you are going to be out of town, and uh, you know it's in the in the spring where the swarm tendency is going to be higher, throw a second honey super on, double them up at one time, and uh, let them do their thing. Just remember that when you are putting honey supers on with apivar, make sure that you mark those honey supers in some way so that you are not you know feeding to people you know for human consumption any honey that was on the colony during the apivar treatments. Um, you can put. 10 supers on there if you want, but if you have them on there during the Ape of our treatments, that's not it's going to be a no-go, right? You don't want to consume that honey. All right, folks. Well, that just about wraps things up for this week. Um, you know, again, this is kind of a high level on a lot of things. You know, I'm sort of kind of counting on you a little bit to tell me things that you need. If there is, you know, a topic that I've kind of glossed over a little bit too quickly, didn't cover enough of, or, you know, you're really struggling in a certain place, reach out to me. Let me know. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. And you know, I'll do my best to respond to you. I really want to customize everything that I'm that I'm talking about here to you and your needs and what you're trying to do, and and trying to make you successful. So next week we're going to talk about splits. We're going to talk about different kinds of configurations, how you can you know start out with either doing a split right to a deep or a split into a small nuke or a medium sized nuke, and you know we'll talk about several of those things. Uh, how many colonies you should expect to split. You know, if you're going for maximum growth, do you want to do four or five? Does that take too much resource away from that primary colony? We're going to go through all of that and talk about the ins and outs of all of that and figuring out a strategy that will work for you and uh, definitely discuss the pros and cons of each of those. As a reminder, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the Bee Buzz, I released the first episode yesterday. You know The idea behind this was kind of a way to address you know, listener emails, news, Q&A, you know, any kind of random things that come up. And I'm hoping that this will allow me to get content out on a more frequent basis while keeping, you know, the regular episodes like this one dedicated to a specific educational topic. You know, there are a lot of times where I come across something that I would like to share where it's, it's um, just a real quick nugget of information, not a full episode. It doesn't really warrant a full episode. It doesn't warrant waiting for a full episode, because if I try to wait or make a note of it, I forget. It just it never gets done. I run out of time. But if it's relevant, I really want to make sure I'm sharing it. So my hope is that the B-Buzz will be the, the opportunity to meet those needs, kind of be short and sweet, get some quick chats in, uh, a few pieces of information here and there. If I can get it the way I really want it, maybe have like a standing time every week where I can – Maybe even set up a dial-in number and people can dial in. We'll take a couple of live calls and address some things real-time and put that out as well. So got a lot of things that we're working on trying to see if we can have some more fun with it and get more info out to everyone. But for now, that is going to do it. So uh, feel free to, again, reach out. Jeff at BekeepingForNewbies.com. And uh, stay safe, stay out of trouble, and I will talk to you everyone very soon. Take care.